Amen. Well, we'll get into uh, talking about the family of God here in just a moment. Uh, I want to welcome everyone that's here today. I think we have some visitors, and uh, we've got some folks that are here have been able to be with us in a while, and we're glad you're here. And uh, we want to certainly welcome everyone. We hope we make you feel welcome. We want you to want to come back and be with us in the future, and I'm sure that uh, you'll find that kind of greeting here. A couple of quick announcements before we get into the lesson. Um, Allison Sherwood, well, let me start over again. Allison Sherwood has given me a card uh, to read to you. And you know, of course, that Allison lost her mother here recently and her father not that long ago. So she sends this card. Thank you so much. She says, perhaps you sent a lovely card or sat quietly in a chair. Perhaps you sent a floral piece. If so, we saw it there. Perhaps you spoke the kindest words as any friend could say. Perhaps you were not there at all, just thought of us that day. Whatever you did to console our hearts, we thank you so much, whatever the part, the family, of course, of Allison Sherwood. She says, Dear brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers of East Orange Church of Christ, many thanks for prayers, phone calls, and sympathy on the passing of my mom. My family and I were touched by your compassion. Please continue to pray for me and my family as we move past this unhappy moment. Sincerely, Allison. And so we certainly want to continue to remember her. There are others here who have recently lost loved ones. We certainly want to remember uh, all of you and uh, to share your grief, just as the song says that we just sung a moment ago. Seems like I had one other announcement. Maybe I'll think of it. I'm not sure right now, but it seems like I did have one other one. If I think of it, I'll stick it in there. This morning I want us to talk about, I want us to talk about the idea of, let's try that again. I want us to talk about the idea of brothers and sisters. I want us to talk about the family of God. I appreciate uh, James in the prayer praying to God about our family here at East Orange. Um, Especially appreciate the song that Edward just uh, led us in, this beautiful song, newer uh, at least to a lot of us, but beautiful song expressing these very ideas. As we talk about unity in my church, and that's what we're looking at this quarter, and I said last Sunday that uh, to talk about unity, I believe the key to unity is fellowship, Um, what we have in common, what we share. And in doing that, I believe it's important to acknowledge the relationship that we have as Christians, and that being of brothers and sisters. So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning and uh, just sort of look at the idea of being a family. So let's begin with an observation, I hope. There we go. If I say to you, does your family have a family reunion? Now, I've been asked that question before, and I've thought a lot about it, and I thought, you know, we used to, that is, certain parts of my family, but no, not in any real sense do we have one now, and yet I understand the concept, because the words family reunion, they recall something very special, and, and especially if you do get together with family and so forth, it recalls something very special to a lot of people. We all know that regardless of how well we may know our relatives or get along with our relatives or whatever it might be, we're part of a big family. We know that. An extended family. In one real sense... We are part of a family that exists literally all over the world and encompasses every human being. We're all related. If you believe the Bible, 
you certainly believe that. We have a common ancestor. If you believe the creation story, we have a a common ancestor. If you believe the story of the biblical flood, so we're all related. Everybody in this room is a cousin. But beyond that, we understand that we divide into families. We trace our genealogy back. A lot of us, you know, got caught up in all of that, especially from the 70s. And we know who our, you know, our ancestors are, at least for a few generations. Um, And so we understand the concept of a family, and as people talk about a big family or extended family, and it's special. For me, if you've already read what I've got up here, it was, as a very young child, my mother comes from a family, about nine brothers and sisters, and so there was all of those. Um, She is one of the oldest children, so most of them were younger, down to an aunt that's only two years older than me. So in the beginning, it was going to their house, usually for a holiday. And all my mother's brothers and sisters who were just older than me, getting me into trouble because I'd do whatever they wanted me to do and all that kind of thing, you know. But it was getting together with them. Later, as, and a lot of you know my story, as my family broke up and, you know, my parents divorced and all of that, you can look this up online, Pine Torch Church in North Alabama, and it's one of the oldest existing church buildings in the country. Well, that's my family out there. And so if you went out to Pine Torch and you can visit it, there's this log building there, that's the old church building, and there's a cemetery out beside it, and the great bulk of it, I'd say at least 80% of it, is my family. So we'd have these big, on decoration days, And some of you know what that is in in April where you take flowers to the graves and all of that. And following that, we'd have this great big celebration. Family would come and bring food and there'd be like a potluck dinner that was incredible. And I remember all of that. And I remember being introduced to this is your cousin so-and-so or your great uncle such-and-such. And And I, I didn't know these people, but I immediately knew that I was related to them. And it meant something. And so we understand that concept and the idea of families identifying together. If you have not seen a relative for a long time, but you meet them, you know that you can identify with that person. Families identify together. They share, which is a term, if you remember from last week, is the basic meaning of the idea of fellowship. They are in fellowship because of what they share. They share so much. They have so much in common. And sometimes as we look on this earth, and I think, and I'm going to say it like this, I even believe within the Lord's church, and I'm not saying this is the way it should be, but even within the Lord's church, some of the closest of fellowships that exist still exist between family members. And I'd ask you a very hard question. Are you closer to your physical family on earth than you are to your spiritual one. And that's for you to answer. And if you are, and and that is just a fact, you feel closer, you identify more, you share more with them, you have more in common, then the question would be, why? And that's just simply for you to ask and for you to answer, but it's a fact that sometimes the closeness of fellowships exists between family members. And when that is so, We speak of, and we have a phrase that we still use a lot down south, and you probably use it as well, but we speak of a close-knit family. I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 for a moment. 
a close-knit family. Because the truth is, Christians are to be a close-knit group of people, a close-knit family. When Paul was writing to the church at Colossae, it is an interesting book because Paul had not seen these people. He had not a lot of these people in Colossae. He did not personally know But he did know there was a church there and that they were very close. Now read this together with me in Colossians 2. I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. In other words, there were just a lot of church members there that he'd never personally met. And he said that their hearts might be comforted, notice this, being knit together in love. And I don't think that Paul is just talking about that they at Colossae are knit together in love, but I think he means even people he's never met are knit together in love with him. So we're close-knit, Paul says. We have something that, and if you'll notice what I put up here, you can see the word again in verse 19. If we were to read that, we, we would see not holding the head, speaking of Jesus, from whom the whole body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. This word for close-knit or knit together is a word that's causative. Now, what do I mean by that? We all understand the concept of cause-effect. Something happens because something else caused it to happen. I know that's not grammatically correct, but it gets the point across. Something else caused it. When we look at this word, what Paul is saying is, in very simple terms, we're close because Jesus caused it. Jesus is the one that makes us be close. What we have together, even if you've never met me, Paul is saying, you're close to me. And the reason you are is because we're driven together by Jesus. We're united in association or affection by Jesus. I love you like I love you, as I love you, because of Jesus. We are close-knit, Paul is saying, because of Jesus. And it's a word that just means to drive people together, to tie them together. And the idea of being knit, for those of you that do, and I know Betty does, and different ones do, crochet, and Marlene does, you know, you you take those little needles and you you do the close-knitting, and you tie things together. In that case, strings or thread. But once it's tied together, it becomes a complete picture. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Now, let's go a little further with that. Because we are, as this beautiful song says, the family of God. We're part of a family, and it's God's family. The family of God. I want you to notice something, Paul. If you'll turn a few pages back in what is my favorite prayer of Paul's, and there are a number of them recorded in the New Testament, but this is my favorite. It's beautiful. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 14. Notice verse 15. Of whom, that is of Jesus, and just like this song says, that's who it ties back to. Just like Colossians 2 says, of whom the whole family, notice as he says, in heaven and earth is named. We're part of a family. We're part of a family that is named by Christ, that comes from Christ, that is initiated by Christ. If it weren't for Christ, we wouldn't have our family. Sometimes when family reunions occur, or when big families get together, they talk about an ancestor. And it may be one who's still living. 
And it may be one who's passed away, but it's that ancestor that everybody focuses on. For example, my mother's maiden name is Phyllis. And I get these notices, usually every year, sometimes a couple of times a year, that there's going to be the Hillis reunion in Texas. Now, there aren't that many Hillises, quote-unquote, in America, but they have this great big reunion. And when they get there, there are two branches of this family. One of them is a branch I know very well, um, when Peyton Hillis was playing for the Giants over there. Peyton and I are cousins, and we trace back to one of these two ancestors, Benjamin Franklin Hillis. And when we go back to that guy, he's the guy that everybody looks to. Now, why am I saying all of that? Because we look to Jesus. When we talk about our family, if we look around this room and we're all cousins, we are, we are cousins because of Noah and Adam. But those aren't the guys we really tend to focus on. More importantly, we're part of a spiritual family. We're brothers and sisters in a spiritual family because of Jesus. Our family is named after Christ. And so every Christian is a member of the great family of God. And it is by privilege, but you notice how I say it here, it is by privilege and obedience that we hold membership in this family. If we want to talk about the Rockefellers or the Kennedys or the whomever in this country that are part of the so-and-so family, it's a privilege to be part of one of those families. If you're a descendant of you know, a Buffett or a Bill Gates or whatever, you're in a rich family and it's a privilege. You didn't necessarily have to do anything. Sometimes as you get older you do. But you didn't have to do anything to be part of that family. But we did. We obeyed what God wanted to have the privilege of being part of this family. Now, notice the point. Paul says the whole family. If we were to dig into the New Testament, and I am a little bit, but not nearly as much as we could, we would find that we are begotten by the Word of God, or with the Word of God. We are begotten. That is, we are born. The Word is the seed. And I'm not going to go very much further than that. But the Word is the seed by which we are conceived, and we are born or begotten into the family of God. Notice, for example... In John chapter 1, something that John says from the very beginning of the gospel here. Now, he talks about Jesus. And I want you to notice that in John 1, Jesus becomes synonymous, or maybe not synonymous, but inseparable from the Word. I am begotten, I'm born into the family of God because of Jesus. But it is equally true that I am born into the family of God because of the Word that I obey. In the beginning was the Word. We come to understand in verse 14, the Word became flesh, and the Word is Jesus, of course. But read down with me, if you will, in verse 12, when John says it like this, As many as received Him, speaking of Jesus, of course, as many as received Him, to them He gave authority to become the sons or children of God even to them that believe on His name. That's why I say we have membership in this family because of obedience, but also privilege. He gave us that right because we obey the Word of God. Notice verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Again, I'm not going to get too deep into this, 
But it's why in 2 Corinthians 6, in the verse that I read last week, in verse 18, it is why God then looks at us as sons and daughters. We are His children. Why? Because we obey. We obey the Word, which is to say, we obey Jesus Christ. We, through Him, have been born. But you notice that's not all the New Testament says. And it is interesting, isn't it? That God uses the terminology of being begotten or born, or born again, if you will. He uses that terminology, but He also uses the terminology equally of being adopted. Now, it is in a family, a person is either born into the family or they are adopted into the family. They end up at the same place, equal, but they're either born or adopted, but we're both. And that's because it is a different view that we're looking at. The word is, what is the seed that produces us? The conception of Christianity is at the word. But we are adopted. And why is this language used? I want you to go over with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 8. We're going to read a couple of verses about adoption. But when you look back at the Roman idea, and Paul was a Roman, remember that. When you look back at the Roman idea of adoption, it is a very special term. Now, I want you to hear this and hear this correctly. As far as Romans were concerned, adoption was more important than birth. Now, that's, we look at that and we're like, what? Wait a minute. No, if you were born into a Roman family, it meant you were part of that family for a time, etc. But it had nothing to do with whether or not you were going to remain in that family and be, more importantly to a Roman, an heir. No, adoption was what was important. And if you were adopted as an heir, you were, and here's the terminology, you were placed as a son, and not daughter now, because the laws were different. And I'm not saying that should apply to Christianity, but they were. So you were placed as a son in the family. Read this together with me in Romans 8, start in verse 14. And notice how he says, as many as were led by the Spirit of God. Now that would be the Word, of course, that we're talking about. You're led through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit being the the one who produces that. As many as were led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. But notice verse 15. You not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba has to do with a very close relationship. But notice it's by adoption that this close relationship comes. And Paul, incidentally, only uses this closeness of Abba, Dada, when he talks about adoption, interestingly enough. So, the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, notice verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 17. And if children, and here's the the point, the important point. If children, then heirs. We've been adopted. We've been placed as a son in God's family. We are an heir, and notice how much of an heir, and joint heirs with Christ. Again, if we were to go over to Ephesians chapter 1 and listen to the language there, God, way before Jesus was crucified, when God planned all of this, God looked ahead and planned that there would be a group of people, His children, and they would be His family. 
and he would adopt them to be so. Notice with me in Ephesians 1 and go down to verse 3. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. Verse 4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined or predestinated, the King James says, us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Now, why not say the birth there? Because he's talking about privileges. He's talking about inheritance. He's talking about being an heir and a legal heir of all those spiritual blessings. And the only way in the Roman concept, and remember he's writing to Roman people, the only way in the Roman concept to have all of that is to be adopted. Adopted by Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted. And that was the whole point. If someone is, a, is accepted in a Roman family as an heir, then he has all of those attendant privileges. You see the same thing over in Galatians 4. You're not a servant. You're not just a slave is the idea. But you are an heir. And you've got that spirit that enables you again, Paul would say, to cry, Abba, Father. So we are heirs together with Christ in God's family. Joint heirs. Now notice, go back to Ephesians 3 in Paul's prayer, of whom the whole family is named. The whole family in heaven and earth is named. When we have a big reunion or a get-together, and, and when I say big, I mean it can be a dozen people or it can be, you know, thousands. Um, I think Greg, Tyler, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Greg and Stacy are over at a big family reunion this weekend. Yeah. So they have this great big, they have a huge reunion. No matter, you talk of a name, the Hillis reunion, the Sproler reunion, whatever it might be. You talk of, you know, this is going to be the, the, the jinx get-together, or it's going to be the whatever. We speak of families by someone's name, and we're looking to some common name. Because we all belong to that family, and we all have that common ancestor. Now, I say again, our origin is from God. If you ask me, who is your father, I know what you mean. I will tell you Bobby White in Decatur, Alabama. But I'll tell you what I'm thinking. If you say, Michael, who is your father? After 40 plus years of thinking this way, the first thought that comes to my mind when you say father is God. God is my father. Our origin is from God. I want you to read with me in Galatians. Go with me to Galatians 3 and go down to verse 26. You are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Then there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Heirs. Galatians chapter 4. Now I say that the heir... As long as he's a child, he differs nothing from a servant. This is the Roman concept, you see. Though he be Lord of all. But he's under tutors and governors until the time appointed of his father, when he would be named or placed as an heir. Even so, we, when we were children, we were in bondage. Paul speaking of the Jewish idea here. We were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, his son made of a woman, made under the law. 
to redeem them that were made, that were under the law, that we might receive, notice verse 5, the adoption of sons, the placing of sons as heirs in the family of God. And because you are sons, verse 6, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We have a common ancestor, a common origin, and that is God. We are Christ's seed. It is Jesus that we look to. We've been adopted. And if you want to look at it like, I mean, we look at family reunions. If we were to go to a great big family reunion, we would have people who were born as that name. You know, the Hillis reunion. You're born a Hillis. We would have people who were there because they were adopted into that family. They were brought into that family. Now they are completely part of that family. They are an heir in that family, etc. And we would have people who married into that family. And they are part of that family. And you know, the truth is, of Christians, if you think about it, all three is the case with us. We are born into the family of God when we're born again, when we're baptized. We are adopted into the family of God. God places us as an heir in His family. We are espoused, not married yet, but we're going to be on the day of judgment. But espoused, it is an assured thing by God that you are the bride of Christ. All three are true of us. And so when we look at this concept, when we begin to talk about our family and how we got there, it really is God tying every concept of the closest relationships on this earth, tying them together and saying, that's what my family is. As Christians, it's, it's truly an amazing thing. And it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. Go back, if you will, again to verse 28 of Galatians 3. Or we could look at plenty of other passages in the New Testament. It is why there is no difference. We look around the room today and what do we see? Well, we see people who look different. We see people who come from different countries, come from different places. We see people of different origin, you know, originalities, if you will. And yet, we know we're all the same. Absolutely. Of one blood, God has made His people. And really, that's true physically, because we all have the blood of Adam and Noah running through our veins, and it's also true spiritually, because we have the blood of Jesus Christ in common. And I'll tell you something. Some of us in this room are male, and some of us are female, and there's still no difference. Go back to verse 28, if you're in Galatians 3. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free. He speaks of nationality, a race. He speaks of economic status, one end of the scale to the other, a master, a slave. But he also speaks of gender. There is neither male nor female. Because all through history, people have had concepts about one race, quote-unquote, is better than another. One economic status is better than another. One gender is better than another. And what Paul is saying is, not in Jesus. You're all one. One, united in one family. When you understand that, all those problems, and as some have said, all the problems of the world go away. If you just understand. That's why, you know, we say there's no room for prejudice in Christianity. There's no room for this idea or this thought that somehow one person could be better than another. 
We are joint heirs with Christ. Let's continue to talk about it. It has a practical side. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4. I don't often read a long passage, but I'm going to take time to read a dozen verses. It, It shouldn't take much more than a minute here. But a dozen verses. But I want you to listen to the practical side of being brothers and sisters. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, Furthermore, then, we beg you, brethren, and we encourage you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you just would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, our holification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. I believe he speaks of your body. How to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence or evil desire, even as the Gentiles who know not God. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. And we also have forwarded you and testified, or forewarned you and testified. For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despises or disregards... Disregards not man, but God, who also has given unto us his Holy Spirit. Now, as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all of Macedonia. But we're begging you, brethren, that you increase this more and more, and that you study to be quiet, and that you do, or as we would say, mind your own business. And that you work with your own hands as we've commanded you. And that you may walk honorably toward them that are without, that you may have lack of nothing. Now that's the practical side of being brothers and sisters. You see what he's saying in this passage is, when you look at every other Christian as your brother, as your sister, a lot of problems that you have will end. They'll cease. You won't be, if we'll home in on one part of this, you won't be a people, for example, verse 6, that are always trying, always, you know, having this basic desire to get ahead, verse 5. This evil desire to always have and have more and have what belongs to somebody else. And you certainly, verse 6, wouldn't go beyond just that evil thought and cheat your brother out of anything. And that could be you cheat him at business. That could be you cheat him at a relationship. That could be you cheat him out of of his daughter's purity. You wouldn't do that because that's your brother. I know people, for example, I know people in the Lord's church who would not think, they would find it sickening to go and take the daughter of their brother but who in turn might take their brother's wife or daughter. Paul is saying, you know, you're missing it. What I'm telling you to do is learn to love as brothers and love more and more. Because you see, we're a great family of brothers and sisters. That's our basic relationship. It was stressed by Jesus from the beginning. This passage that was read for us earlier, Kevin read for us. And Jesus looked around and said, look, this is my brother." The people that do the will of God, these are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. And so the idea is, you want to be part of my family, 
then become part of my family doing the will of God. That's the practical side of it. We can look at the doctrinal side of it in Hebrews 2, and I'm not going to take time to, but read through this with me for a moment. And you can go home and meditate, and I would encourage you to do that. Verses 10 through 17 there. But we are sons, because we've been adopted into the family of God. We've talked about that, placed as an heir in the family of God. But you remember Jesus, as it says there, He's not ashamed to call them brethren. He looks at us. Jesus looks at us as brothers and sisters. Jesus, in verse 12, sings with us as brothers and sisters. Now, what do you think for a second? We're singing this family, the family of God. You think Jesus heard that? You think Jesus was thinking about the words in that song? You think Jesus was looking into the hearts of everyone here and seeing if you were thinking about the words of that song? And that, if you were, and let's assume you were, and you're thinking about it, this room full of people and all this diversity we come from and we are brothers and sisters and you love these people and you love your brothers and sisters, do you think Jesus is singing that wholeheartedly saying, yes, that's what I died for? I think he was. And that's what we're talking about. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so there is that proper respect. You wouldn't cheat your brother. But you know, the idea there is, and, and as Paul writes to Timothy, or as Jesus speaks from the cross, I, remember, I forgot I switched those two around, but as Jesus speaks from the cross, and here is Jesus there, here's the Apostle John, the disciple whom he loved, the song we sang before the Lord's Supper. He's talking about John. And John was, you know, he was young. And he was someone who loved Jesus like a big brother. And Jesus loved him like a little brother. I got a brother. It's about the age difference John and Jesus would have been. And boy, do I understand that. And I love him like that. And he loves me like that. And so he looks down at this young brother and he says, Behold your mother. And to the woman, he says, Woman, behold your son. Because you see, you're part of a family. People looked at that and said, well, now, why would he do that? Because, you know, she had other sons. Yeah, but not like John. Not yet. I'm not saying there wouldn't be, at least a couple of them. But then and there, on that cross, who could he trust would take his mother into his own home and treat her like a mother should be treated? You trust Christians to do that. That's why Christians should and many times do and can trust one another. Not always. You ever been cheated by a Christian brother? If you have, you know it's one of the most sickening things to ever deal with. Because they shouldn't. You cheated by someone in the world, you just chalk it up to, you know, I mean, that's the way it is. People do that. But not Christians. Woman, behold your son. John, behold your mother. 1 Timothy 5, verse 2, or 1 and 2. Paul is saying, don't rebuke an elderly man is the idea. You treat him like a father. No proper respect in this family. And the older women you treat as mothers. And, the, and, and other guys your age, Timothy, treat them like brothers. And... Women your age, treat them like sisters, and then he adds, with all purity. 
Now, I may be missing it here, but I find it interesting that here is Timothy, a younger man, and out of all four categories, Paul sticks something else in there with sisters. Why? I figure Timothy was a normal guy with normal desires, and he wasn't old. And if you're going to work in those situations, then this is what you need to see with fellow Christian women. They are your sisters. And you treat them like you would your sister. And I tell you, the way I treat my sister, I got a little sister, and the way that I would treat my sister is I would treat her not as an object of desire, but someone to take care of and protect and all of those things, and I would be willing to die to make sure no harm came to her. Timothy, treat your sisters like that. We're part of a family. And 2nd and 3rd John. Read those letters. And I'll close with this quickly. But read down through the letters. John is an old man. He's the elder. I'm the old man. Treat me with that kind of respect. Diatrophies. You know? Treat me with respect. And then he writes to an elect lady. I think it's a real person. And he talks about her sister. And their children. And he talks about brothers in those books. And he talks about friends. Because the word friend means someone you have close affection for. We're part of a family. That's the idea. Now, very quickly, and I know I've gone over, but let me run through a couple of points. Families have so much in common. They're tied together by blood, adoption, marriage. So are we. They identify with each other. They belong to one another. So do we. We are members one of another. I'm going to talk about that in tonight's sermon. They have a common ancestor. So do we. Jesus Christ. We have one Father God, we're all the seed of Christ and Abraham. We all share the same family history. They have relatives in common. You know, you might not know your great-great-uncle Bill, but you know his brother because his brother was your great-great-grandfather. You might not know your cousin Sarah or your cousin Tim, but you know your cousin Sarah. And Sarah knows your cousin Tim. You're tied together. Have you ever gone to a church and one of the first things that happens at a congregation when you walk in there visiting is, you know, they start asking you, you know, where you come from, who you are, and you begin to talk about where you come from, and they say, oh yeah, doesn't so-and-so go there? Yeah, it sure does. You know, that kind of thing. That ever happened to you? It happens everywhere we go. One time, Montel and I were at a gospel meeting, big gospel meeting at Eastside, Wes knows where that is, and we're sitting there right before service starts, and this little old lady reaches up and looks at Montel and says, who are you? And Montel told her who she was and found they knew people in common. But that's the point of Christianity. We have relatives in common. And we all call one place home. You know, when you go to family reunions and you go home for a family get-together, you know what that place is. It's a special place on earth. Well, we're part of a family going home. And we're all tied together with everybody who's going to that same place. You want to be part of that family? It's a wonderful family. It's a great, big family. It encompasses every person who's a descendant of Christ, the whole earth, over the whole earth, and even beyond. And you can be part of that family because of Jesus. If you believe in Jesus and you'll confess that, you're willing to change your life and live for Him, if you'll be baptized, His blood will wash your sins away. Maybe you're here today and there's something in your life that needs to be put behind you and you want to kind of start all over again. 
And you know, families, in families, you can do that. And so you can in the family of Christ. Please don't. While we stand and sing.